0: We're just happy to have everybody here today. Glad to see you. The uh, text that was read in John nineteen fourteen has to do with Pilate, who was not a king. Pilate was a governor in the area of Judea. And this was sort of at the conclusion of a long, long day and night that involved our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had been captured, taken into captivity in the Garden of Gethsemane and taken to a area where he was questioned by the high priest of religion at that day, and then turned over to this man, Pilate, who was the governor, a Roman governor, who had the authority to either turn him loose or to punish him. Now, Pilate made a statement. And what he did was, he he took Jesus, after trying to release him several times, And he brought him before the crowd, and he said, Behold your king. Now at that point, they had had two choices. They could either crown him as the king, bow their knee, and accept his authority as being the ruler over their lives. Or they could crucify him. And, of course, you know the the answer that they gave. They said, crucify him, kill him. We don't want him as a king. Originally, and we don't know a great deal about um, monarchs and dictators and potentates. We're not really that familiar with kings and kingdoms and queens and, and kingdoms, or queendoms, whatever you want to call them. Basically... A king or an authority over a kingdom was was an absolute potentate with supreme authority over a populace within a territory. Now I say we don't know much about kings we this country, the United States of America, was formulated because we opposed the authority of a king or an absolute ruler, and we said, no, we do not want a king and so we stepped out from under the, the authority of the King of England, Charles, and said, we're, we're not going to be ruled by a king. And so we're ruled in what is known as a democratic republic. That means that the people have a say in the government, and, and the republic part of it means that we, we uh, nominate and elect representatives such as senators and congressmen to make our laws according to the way what we think we should have. So this is a government really basically run by the people and for the people. So that's what we're familiar with. We're not too familiar with with a, a monarchy. If we were to to think about monarchs or autocrats or despots or dictators, we would think in terms of maybe Stalin or Hitler some of us old enough to remember that. Or Mussolini. Saddam Hussein was a dictator. He was a monarch. He was a king. And Jung, the uh, North Korean president right now. These are dictators, monarchs. We're not familiar with them. We, we, we're, not, we're not sure of them. We don't want people like this telling us what to do. What to believe and how to behave. Isn't that correct? We don't want that. But a king had the absolute power, the supreme authority over a populace to make statements about behavior. He had the right to to govern subjects under his domain without accountability. He didn't have to say why. As parents, when we were raising our children, Bonnie and I, sometimes, the question would come down, a matter of behavior and a matter of accountability, the question would come down to Hey, Dad, why do I have to do that? And so we would give as many examples and reasons as we could, and finally it it came down to because we said so. Right? Okay. Now that's where the king is. When the king says something, it's because I said so. Period. End of conversation, end of accountability. He dictated acceptable behavior. He dispensed subjective justice. He either persecuted and prosecuted some, or he uh, exonerated others and allowed them off, gave them off. He he, uh, he didn't didn't impose sentence on evildoers. It but it was his judgment, and then he dispatched his forces to enforce his rule. Now we are so concerned about not being ruled by a dictatorship or by a king or by a monarch or a sovereign that we actually put a nobility clause in our Constitution. Article 1. Which says, and you may not know this I didn't know it for a long time. It it says that, that there can be no terms or titles of nobility given any government individual, person that works for the government. So we can't call a senator Lord or Duke or Prince. We can't use those terms with our government officials. Now we can call a judge, Your Honor, but anyone who has been knighted, for instance, someone says, Well, so and so has been knighted. So the Queen of England knighted George W. Bush, knighted him. There's a whole list of people who have been knighted, but they can't be called Lord. Or Duke, or they can't be given a title, but they can wear the the initials behind their name. Now that's the way our government has been established, and it was the purpose because we feared the king. We feared that type of government. Have you seen the bumper sticker or heard the, the uh, motto I love my country but I fear my government? Now, that's what we do in terms of a monarch. We fear our king. We fear our queen. And the reason is because they are answerable to no one but themselves. Period. They have complete, absolute authority. They can state any law they want. They can impose any requirement on the populace they want. And they're not answerable to anyone. No one. Men become kings different ways, or people do, that become monarchs. They become that by, for instance, uh, by popular demand. For instance, if you want a king, the population rises up and says, give us a king. We want, we want to be ruled by a king, and so they knowingly subject themselves to a monarch. Now that's what happened, if you're, if you're reading your Bible, that's what happened when Saul came along. That's what the people said. They said, we want a king. They told Samuel, the judge, give us a king. We want to be like everybody else. Samuel said, hey, wait a minute. If you get a king, this is found over in 1 Samuel chapter 8. He said, if you get a king, he's going to inscript your sons... Make them soldiers and servants. He's going to take your daughters, and make them maids and maid servants. He's going to put them in your household. He's going to make them cook everything. He's going to he's going to impose heavy levels levies upon you. He's going to make sure that he's doing what he wants to do without regard to what you need. That's basically what he's telling. He's going to he's going to multiply his wealth on your back. They said, "Give us a king." So they selected one. His name was Saul. He was head and shoulders above everybody. You remember the story, and he was the fellow that uh, that was supposed to be fighting Goliath, but he didn't. And instead, David did. So sometimes a king can come along and can be can be coronated by popular demand. Uh, another way is through divine selection. This is this is a very important way, and uh, we only know I only know one instance. Actually, two. By divine selection. One instance in the annals of human history. That was David. Now, God said, I'm, I want another king. And I, I'm going to select him. And he sent David. He sent Samuel to find David. And he anointed David at the request of God himself to be the king. And he became the king in First Samuel chapter 16. But... but uh, and Actually, he, he was anointed in 1 Samuel 16. He wasn't coronated until 2 Samuel chapter 8. But anyway, the, the point is that God said, this is the one I want to rule for me. And so Samuel anointed him with oil and placed him before the Lord and, and uh, he, was, he was accepted. He wasn't accepted later by the people in, until 2 Samuel chapter 8 and this was after Saul was killed. And then there is the coup d'etat, where you overthrow a king. The government forces, some of the forces, the captains, uh, commanders of the forces will come along and say, hey, we don't like this rule, and this happened in Vietnam. This is what happened in Vietnam. Uh, There was a coup d'etat, and the United States was responsible for it, where they overthrew the government and installed Castro, Fidel Castro. That was a coup d'etat. So anyway, what, what we have is different ways that you can establish a king. The first is by heritage. And it was a popular concept and has been since the 16th century of our era. A popular concept called uh, the divine right of kings. So uh, when a king decides that he has the rights to rule... He likes to think that he's God's personal representative on earth. The Roman kings, Caesars, became gods in their own minds. They said, well, we are gods. They they weren't just reaching out and saying, God selected me. But they were saying, we are gods. And so they, they were ruling as gods. Now, as time moved on, man said, well, that may not be exactly right, but... God gave me the right to rule. And if some of you are familiar with this. In the 16th century in, in Europe, the concept of the divine rights of kings arose, which meant that they said, we're ruling because God wants me to rule. He wants me to be king, and he wants me to do these things. And what I tell you to do, basically, is what God wants you to do. We, you know, this is, this is a subtle attempt to say, we know... That God is the king. And he has given me the right to rule in his place. Psalms 47 at verse 7 says, God is the king of all the earth. And so that was an acknowledgement of this. John Locke, in some of his treatises, addressed this very point because in the 18th century, it was pretty prevalent that the kings of England thought that they were ruling by divine right. So this country said, no, we don't, we don't believe that. In times past, the kings that conquered the world said, we're kings because we have conquered the world, like Alexander the Great, and uh, others, Nebuchadnezzar and, and so forth. But anyway, if you do not have the right bloodline, for instance, you don't have the right of heritage. Now, when Jesus came along, he had the right bloodline. Because David was a king, and he was a descendant of David. There are two, two texts that tell us this. In, in Matthew chapter 1, his lineage is traced through his mother, Mary. And in Luke chapter 3, his lineage is traced through his father, earthly father, Joseph. Both of them went back to David, went back through David, as a matter of fact. So he had the right lineage. In the final week of his life, when he was introduced to the people, in Matthew chapter 21, they brought Jesus into the city, mounted on a an ass, it's called in the King James, a colt, the foal of an ass, and they spread palm branches before him and, and shouted, Hosanna to the king, the son of David. So the populace said, we want this man to be our king. Now that was pretty important. It doesn't seem like much, does it? But they brought him into the city of Jerusalem where the king would be reigning and they said this is the king. And the rulers jumped up and said wait don't say that. And they actually approached Jesus and said tell these people tell them not, and it was the children that were screaming it out Hosea the king, the son of David, and he said tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said if they if they were quiet, even the very stones would cry out. In Luke 19, verse 38, the text actually says, they were saying, Blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord, or by the authority of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The Jewish leaders, let's, let's just stop right here, because the Jewish leaders, and even the leaders in Israel today, I want you to hear what they expect the king to be. They're still thinking that there's a king coming. And they thought at that time there was a king coming, and the Old Testament does make that statement that the king was coming. And John the Baptist was going to come in front of him and prepare his way. But they say that there are five things necessary for the king to be present when he comes. Number one, he will be the son of David. That's Israel today. I'm taking the information from what the Israelites and the Jews tell us today that they expect in the king. Number one, he will be the son of David. Number two, he will be a sovereign ruler over the original territory of Israel. You wonder why they keep trying to get their land. That's why. They believe their king is coming and he's going to be the sovereign ruler over that land that God gave them initially. Number three, they believe he will restore the population of Israel. Listen carefully. Not everybody. They will restore the population of Israel to the law of Moses. So everybody in Israel will be following the law of Moses. That involves sacrifices, by the way. Animal sacrifices. Number four, he will gather all the Jewish people from all over the world and returned them to the land of Israel. So in 1947, they thought the time had come. And they, th- they, they still think the time is coming. It's getting near because all the people in Israel are trying to get back to that land. They said, when the king comes, that's going to happen. And number five, they say, he will bring peace to the entire world. Now that's what they're looking for. The leaders of Israel... Now you can see why they didn't think Jesus was it, can't you? Because the population of Israel, when he came, the chief priest said, No, you're not the one. You're not the one we're looking for. There was, there was a, a long day for Jesus. He was taken in the Garden of Gethsemane in the middle of the night, probably around midnight. Midnight. He was taken to the chief priest and in the court there was a great crowd that had gathered. Do you remember Peter was there with them? He followed them and he was standing over warming at the fire and he could see Jesus up on the podium up on the stand and all the chief priests were gathered around him and they were questioning Jesus and Peter was standing there warming himself and on the third time that the maiden turned to him and said you're one of them you're of Galilee and he, and he cursed Peter cursed and said, I am not. And he cursed. And Jesus looked at him and Peter (coughs) left. Well, this, this was a traumatic experience. What they were asking Jesus basically was, Are you the king? Are you claiming to be the king? Now, what had happened was the whole population brought him to town and said, Here's our king. And so they have him, they've captured him, they got him in the middle of the night because they were afraid that the crowd would rise up in rebellion. So they got him in the middle of the night and they brought him in and were questioning him. And here's what he said in Luke chapter 22, verse 67 through 71. He said, are you, they said, are you the Christ? Now their, their idea of the king was he was also the Christ. He said, are you the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I will also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Are you then the Son of God? And he said unto them, You say that I am. And they said, What need have we of any further witness? We ourselves have heard of his own mouth. And they began to to accuse him of blasphemy. Now they asked him a couple of questions and he answered a couple of ways. First of all, he said, he was set at the right hand of the power of God. He would have the authority of God. Then he said, I am the son of God. Now that's his heritage. The people already said, this is our king. They So by popular demand, they said, this is our king. Then he came in and he said, my father said, that I'm going to set at his right hand, and I am the Son of God. So he had the right. They declared him to be blasphemy, and, and so they took him to Pilate. Now this is interesting, because when they took him to Pilate, this thing took place in about a matter of three hours before Jesus died. By the time they took him to Pilate, it was daytime. And so they took him to Pilate, and they made the accusation to him, and Pilate said... I don't see any any problem. Now think about it. They're saying that this man is saying that he is the king, and Pilate's looking at him and thinking, "What king?" He said, "I don't see. I don't see it. I don't see it." And he wanted to turn him loose. Now they said, "No, we don't want him turned loose." So he, what, what am I going to do? His, Pilate's wife had suffered a a dream the night before and she turned to Pilate and she said don't have anything to do with this righteous man I suffered many things of a dream because of him leave him alone so Pilate was timorous about this, he was he was on pins and needles, he wasn't sure what he was going to do so they, they turned him back and said no we." we he, he said he's a king so Pilate said well I, I need some help so he turned him over, and this is in John 18 and 19, turned him over to Herod, who was the tetrarch of Galilee, who was another sort of a, a titular witness or ruler, primate. And he, said, he, he turned him over to, to uh, Herod because Herod wanted to talk to him too. And Herod examined him. They couldn't find anything wrong with him. So Pilate then turned around and brought him back and said, I, there's nothing wrong. I, I'm going to turn him loose. They said, no, you can't turn him loose. Uh, he said he's a king, and if you turn him loose, we're going to tell, we're going to tell people that we're going to tell Caesar that, that he was opposed to Caesar, and you let him go. And they threatened him. So Pilate said, okay. He scourged him. Now, I'm not sure about all what scourging involved, but I know they, they took the robe off his back because later on they, it was such an expensive piece of clothing that the people, the Roman guards at the cross uh, wagered for it and cast lots for it so they wouldn't tear it up. It was a good piece, good, good garment. So they must have stripped it from his back and they beat him. They scourged him. What Pilate was trying to do is make him look pitiful. How can, you, how can I beat your king? He's not a king. So he beat him. And the soldiers spat on him, slapped him around, and then plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And Pilate took him out again and said, I find no no wrong in him. He scourged him, tried to get a confession. Jesus didn't confess. While he was talking to him, uh, Pilate asked him, he said, Are you a king? And he he said, If I were a king of this world, my servants would fight. So that you would not take him. On another occasion, he said, he said uh, Pilate said, Don't you know that I have power to take your life? And Jesus said, You don't have any power except what was given to you by my father. He said, The only authority you have, Pilate, is what my father gave you. Anyway, they brought him, Pilate brought him back out, and he said, I, I, I can't, I, I can't. I can't find anything to do. He said, as a matter of fact, what I have here is, I've got a fellow by the name of Bar-Jesus. He was a common criminal. Do you know what the word Bar-Jesus means? Son of the Father. Son of the Father. Bar-Jesus. Bar-Son. You've heard of Bar-Mitzvah? That's when a boy gets to a certain age that the, he's inducted into manhood. bar Barabbas. So he was... The Son of the Father. He said, I've got Barabbas. What what do you want to do? I'll I'll either give you Barabbas or Jesus. And they said, uh, We'll take Barabbas. What will I do then with Jesus? And they said, Crucify him. Now, when he presented Jesus to them, what shall I do? Crucify him. So they had the choice. He was crucified. Pilate made the statement, though, behold your king. And when he crucified him, you know what he did? He, he, he uh, drew up a plaque. And on the plaque it said, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. He did it in three languages. Three languages. Now they took that. That was the, that was the accusation of the criminal. And they took that and nailed it to the top of the cross. So that everybody would know what crime he was accused of. So, when, they, when he, when he uh, made that sign, he tacked it, was going to attach it to the cross. They said, No, don't put that up there. Say that he, right, he said that he was the son. He said that he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, What I have written, I've written. So, he just put it up there. Now, several things go on in, in John chapter 18 and verse 19. When they said crucify him, they were through they uh, they they were not going to accept him as being the king and yet when he was crucified, he went into the grave like he had promised and he came out of the grave on the third day came out of the grave and when he came forth out of the grave, God crowned him as the king. Now we may not know how important that is standing here so. 2,000 years later, but my goodness, what happened at that time, at that point, when Jesus came out of the grave, what happened was that he became the king of the whole world. He was crowned king of the whole world. I'm going to read a text in Hebrews chapter 1, and verse 5, because this is after the resurrection. And Paul, or the writer of the book of Hebrews, says, For which of the angels did he say, and this is God? Here is the divine right of kings. Here is God saying, Which of the angels did he say at any time, You are my son, this day have I begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brought forth the first begotten in the world, he said, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he said, Who made his angels spirits His ministers a flame of fire. But in the Son he said, Thy throne, O God, he's talking to Jesus, your throne is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is a scepter of the kingdom thou you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity therefore god even your god has anointed you with all of gladness above your fellows he's been anointed and he has a he has a scepter of righteousness so when when i'm thinking about my king and i'm thinking about well he's going to tell me everything that I must do and how I must behave in my whole life. So now here's Pilate said behold your king and so I'm looking at it and saying he's my king. That means that he has the absolute right to tell me what to do. Everything. He has the absolute right to, to monitor my behavior to tell me how to behave. Not only that, he has absolutely absolute right to tell me what I ought to think, to rule in my heart. And he is my king. If he's my king, if I accept him at that point, then I'm saying, Okay, Lord, I'm going to bow my knee to you, and I'm going to crown you king in my life. And it doesn't make any difference what everybody else says. As a matter of fact, I love my Lord, and I love my king, and I don't fear him. I don't fear that he's going to tell me to do something that's going to be harmful to me. He's not going to impose rules and regulations on me that's going to be distressful to me. He's going to take care of me because I love my king. There's been a a conflict and a controversy going on for years and years and years, centuries, of whether or not it's right to have, best to have, a democracy or a benevolent monarchy. Which means if we have a good king, it'd be better to have a good king than it would be to have a bad democracy. You look at the laws that have been instated in our country and some of the things that our government uh, punishes and approves of. Some of the laws that are on our books now. I think, for instance, the law of that, that they've finally they've released this business of the law of Abortion, uh, uh, it's not prohibited anymore. And so our our government says it's okay to take the life of an unborn. That's all right. But a benevolent monarch, would he say that? A benevolent monarch, if would my Lord, I'm looking at my Lord and I'm saying, I'd rather be under his authority than under the authority of a government that says, we want to rule ourselves. We want to take care of our own business. In Book of Colossians, chapter two, and at verse, and I'm just I'm just going to read this for this for a minute. Uh, let me let me get my text right. Verse verse nine, beginning at verse nine. It says, "For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, for you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands." in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. So, he has raised him from the dead, dead, and he has given him all power. And because he has given him all power, he can say that we have the responsibility to bow our knee to him. In in Philippians chapter 2, And at verse 8 it says, Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, That the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now he's not going to do that simply by exerting physical power and authority. Jesus is not going to twist your arm and make you confess that He's the Son of God and He's the King. He's not going to bow you down and put His foot on your neck and say, you have to tell everybody that you believe that I'm your King. He's going to reach into your heart with His benevolent love and say, I love you, I died for you, I've risen and I now live with you, and I am your King. Do you accept that? you accept the kingship of Jesus? Revelation 17, 14 and 19, 16 says, He is the Lord of lords and he is the King of kings. He is the King now and he will ever be the King. And as Pilate set Jesus before the crowd and he said, Behold your King, that's what we look at today. We look at Jesus and, and we're saying, Behold our King. And I have the opportunity and I have the responsibility to either crown Him in my life or crucify Him. Crown Him or crucify Him. I'm going to crown Him. Thank you for your attention this morning. Let's crown Jesus as our King. Shall we stand and sing?